Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm the Deputy Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, my guest is Jim Macoso. He's the CEO of Flow Technology and Director of Lucid Lab Group. Jim holds board seats in several organizations and serves as Vice Chair of the Scientific Advisory Committee here at NCIA. In Washington State, Jim's an active member of the Technical Assistance and Mentorship Work Group in the Social Equity in Cannabis Task Force, which is a working group formed under the Governor's Interagency Council on Health Disparities. Before the cannabis industry, Jim cut his teeth on Wall Street as a finance professional, and he's recognized by industry peers as having expertise in processing and extraction technologies. And he regularly contributes to printed publications, in addition to speaking at some of the largest industry events around the country, like NCIA's trade shows. Welcome so much for being on the show today, Jim. Thank you so much, Bethany. It's great to be here. It's great to be speaking with you. Uh, obviously, I've known you for uh, several years. I think it's like five or six years now I've known you, Bethany. Years, yes. We met at one of those awesome cannabis caucus events that NCIA used to host around the com- around the country, those lovely little evening networking events that I hope we can get back to doing maybe in 2022. We'll see how things go. <laughs> So let's kick off the conversation by getting to know you a little bit better, some more about your background and experience before moving into the cannabis space. Sure. Um, Well, uh, I'm from New York originally. Um, You know, I grew up in New York, you know, the craziness that is New York, um, specifically on Long Island before moving into the city. And, um, you know, I came out here, into the cannabis industry on the West Coast back in 2014 as an investor. Um, As you mentioned, I come from the finance world. Uh, I was a financial advisor uh, in investment banking for about seven years before getting out of that industry and and kind of getting back into something I've always loved, which is entrepreneurship. And so, um, you know, cannabis has always been a big part of my life ever since I was 18. Um, You know, in, in high school, I was a bit of an athlete and I used to make fun of the kids that were, you know, would get stoned and I would kind of you know, look at them kind of funny and make fun of them for their dopiness. And then I had a friend, uh, obviously a good friend that told me that uh, given my personality, I'm a little bit high strung and a little um, uh, <laughs> assertive, I would say. Uh, they, they introduced me to cannabis uh, after my football season and changed my life, you know, changed my perspective on the world, definitely mellowed me out. And, you know, ever since then, um, I've been a big proponent of cannabis and, and about uh, eight, eight years ago, got involved professionally in the industry here on the West Coast. 
Mm, yes, well, I, I can relate to um, really getting into cannabis after high school myself. Uh, really didn't get into it for some reason until college um, when I really found it as a helpful substance to get me through some anxiety and depression for sure. So uh, not everyone's been, you know, smoking since high school, but pretty soon after for sure. <laughs> All right. So when you decided to leave Wall Street and you had your passion for cannabis, how did the the launching of these companies happen? I think you said you started by investing in some cannabis companies. What happened from there? Yeah, well, um, when I first met you, um, I was still both involved with a company called Vuber Technologies and had just recently launched uh, Lucid Lab Group, which is how most people know me in this industry. Uh, and, you know, what, what happened was I... Um, you know, I had a friend from high school who was actually a writer for a magazine out here on the West Coast uh, called the Northwest Leaf. And, you know, he had one of the coolest jobs in the world. He got to sample cannabis products and then write about them in this magazine. Man. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, Dream right. Job. Uh, <laughs> and um, he was involved as a founder in this vaporizer company. Uh, and, and so he called me up. He told me kind of what they were doing. And, um, you know, invited me to come out and check out what was happening here on the West Coast. And once I saw that vape cartridge, you know, with cannabis in it, remember, e-cigs were all the rage kind of at that time in 2013, um, you know, mid to late 2013, uh, when I'd come and saw what they were working on, you know, as, as I kind of a business person, the wheel started turning and, and I saw the opportunity. And, you know, uh, they asked me if I would consider investing. And I said, sure, you know, uh, uh, coming from the finance world, I was like, straightforward, send me, you know, your executive summary, send me your business plan, let me take a look at what you guys got going on. And they didn't have any of those things, which made me laugh. I was like, well, you know, tough to, to raise any money if you can't tell people in a documented way what you're doing. And so, you know, I did my research into the vape side of things, into the industry, I actually um, got so excited about it. I wrote their business plan, presented it to them and said, hey, here's your business plan. And not only that, I'm going to invest, but I have one caveat. You got to let me join the team on your sales team and, you know, really get involved in the market. And, and keep in mind that at that time, this was late 2013, Washington had just passed along with Colorado, uh, adult use, um, recreational cannabis in both of those States. And, you know, timing standpoint, you know, it was just good timing. Um, I invested that company, and uh, one of the other investors there, we started Lucid Lab Group and um, the rest, as they say, is, is history. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And if I recall, uh, Washington State had some hiccups kind of rolling out those licenses. They were, they were taking their time. They were kind of fumbling with the regulations. And it just it took them a hot sec to really get those licenses out. Is that, is that an accurate memory of mine? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, just just like any state, I mean, I don't think any state has had a seamless integration from, um, you know, not having regulated cannabis to then having a regulated cannabis program. Um, you know, Washington, unlike Colorado, right, Colorado, who also had a robust medical program, they voted on legalization there in Q4 of 2013. And come January, they had rolled it out. And, and, you know, initially they just turned over a lot of the medical stores and made this kind of new regulation 
um, you know, right. uh, uh, they adopted it pretty quickly. Washington did not do that. And the issue, you know, kind of the issue was they wanted to create a whole new program where they didn't factor in medical uh, cannabis retailers that were already operating mm-hmm. and medical cultivators and processors into that program. It was a whole new process with whole new licensing. And basically in this state, which was to the detriment of, of the, the model of collective gardens and medicinal cannabis, they completely eliminated that program and made a whole new program. And, you know, uh, certainly even, even up till today, um, you know, the, 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 the detrimental things that came out of that transition are still being fought against. And, you know, certainly that's a part of the work we're doing on the social equity and cannabis task forces, you know, not only to try to right some of the wrongs that happened in that transition, but also to work with the, um, uh, the African-American as well as other people of color uh, and the communities of those people of color here in Washington to bring some equity back into uh, as a part of the cannabis industry. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to dive into some of those topics uh, with diversity, equity, and inclusion um, later in the show for sure. But before we hop on to our first commercial break here, let's bring us up to the present day here. Uh, We're wrapping up the year 2021, and you've got your hands in a couple different projects here, including Lucid Labs, um, which you basically helped launch and co-found. What else is going on with you these days? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, Lucid Labs is still very much uh, active. And, um, you know, again, that's how most people know me. But uh, something that I'm really excited about is our most recent project, Flow Technology. And, and this is a company that we started actually uh, last year. You know, we incorporated in Q2. Um, but really, we raised the initial capital uh, for it, both our own and a couple of initial investors uh, at the end of 2020 and really to start this year is when we really launched the company from an operational standpoint. Uh, we moved in from, from our existing licensed processing facility, which was 6,000 square feet, um, closer to downtown Seattle. We found a bigger space here in South Park, Seattle, uh, 15,000 square feet where our processor is still very much active, but we are start, we've started a research space where we can really focus on specifically with flow technology, the infused ingredients space. And that is um, when you think about cannabis consumer packaged goods, uh, you know, and we're talking about food, beverages, you know, cosmetics, uh, supplements and wellness products. When we think about the CPG space in cannabis, uh, there's, you know, there's a huge and robust market, right? But the, the measurement of how well products work is kind of this on off switch. You know, on does it work, off it doesn't work. The products of the future are going to be able to quantify how well something works. Um, does it work quickly? You know, rapid onset. Um, can we regulate mood states in a sense? You know, where we where we're using products for specific effects as opposed to did it just get me quote unquote high? Um, and so the work that we're doing with Flow Technology is bringing a little bit more science and data into the product development space when it comes to consumer packaged goods. And that's the big, the, the big push here with this new venture flow technology. That's amazing stuff. I, I love hearing about how we're continuing to become more sophisticated and applying more scientific methods and eventually getting to the point where we can reverse engineer exactly what we're looking for. That's amazing. Okay, let's take our first commercial break and then we'll come back and chat more with Jim Macoso of Lucid Lab Group. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. 
All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, with the National Cannabis Industry Association, chatting with Jim Macoso of Lucid Labs, who's very involved in NCIA. In fact, I just saw him a couple months ago in Detroit, where we hosted our Midwest Cannabis Business Conference, and specifically a social equity workshop. And you and I chatted a lot about what's happening in the industry in that space. Of course, NCIA has a DEI community as a committee, I should say, as well as a DEI scholarship program for licensees. So let's begin by talking about the state-by-state programs that are out there, separate of NCIA, but the states that are writing social equity licensing provisions into their state laws at the get-go, rather than as an afterthought, and I believe Massachusetts was one of the first states to actually do that. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean, as um, you know, as somebody who is from the African American community, um, you know, I'm mixed race, so I was actually born in the South Pacific. My mother is Tongan, which is Polynesian, and my dad is from um, Zaire, formerly Zaire, now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So, you know, I am a walking billboard for, um, you know, what others are proposing as social equity. Um, But, you know, certainly when when it comes to these programs, um, you know, every single state has, or at least most of the states when it comes to the cannabis, um, the cannabis industry, most of the states that are uh, that have active cannabis programs, be it medical or uh, adult use, are now obviously trying to make social equity a part of the legislative mandate of those programs. Um, and you know, uh, for some, it's too little, too late. But you know, any any movement on that front, I think, is 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 worthwhile. In Washington, um, we we pass legislation to include a social equity component for retail licenses. And um, I'm very proud to be a member of the Social Equity and Cannabis Task Force here in Washington as a person who comes from the industry. And and really the whole goal for us um, as a task force is to try to right the wrongs and some of the harms that have been caused to um, the communities of people of color with both the African-American communities as well as others um, that have been caused by the war of drugs, or the war on drugs historically. And, and so there's, uh, you know, where we're at in our process, um, you know, we are trying to take what was le- already legislatively mandated, which was, you know, a little less than a couple million dollars dedicated to training, uh, training, t- or excuse me, technical assistance and mentorship, um, a, a grant program for about 39 retail licenses that are being dedicated specifically to social equity applicants. Uh, and we're trying to change that to add a little bit more capital to those programs. But certainly there are plenty of programs state to state um, that are really trying to focus on how we how we get this right in the cannabis industry. And, and you know, some of the questions that are coming up consistently is, you know, what is equity, what is equitable and what is equality? You know, how do we define that from a financial standpoint, right? There, there's never going to be a number where people feel like they're getting what they deserve. But certainly how do we approach that number with programs that um, you know, are fiscally responsible, that benefit the state, that benefit the stakeholder, especially benefit um, uh, the community members that are, are participating in the cannabis industry that are gonna be recipients of via grants or loans or any type of, of support 
um, as social equity applicants. Uh, you know, as an example, I was in New York a couple of days ago um, at a mixer where it was, you know, some legislatures, uh, some business owners, some investors, people from different parts of the industry. And, and, you know, one of the conversations that kept coming up is how are they as a community going to get it right in New York? And, you know, I'm, I'm currently a resident also of New York. And uh, for, you know, for me, uh, I take a huge interest in being a part of that conversation at the outset. Because one thing I've learned here in Washington is trying to take a program that is already so robust and exists. And, you know, we're a small state, about 7 million people here in Washington, um, but we generate some of the largest tax revenue for per capita uh, in our, when it comes to the cannabis industry, you know, we're about 400 to $500 million a year in taxes uh, are created. So how do we, how do we take a program that already exists where taxes are already allocated to their multiple programs um, and reappropriate some of that to, uh, to uh, the social equity program in a way that's equitable and in a way where we're not just pulling money from programs that are used to getting the, that capital already. You know, that's much harder than getting it right at the outset. And so, you know, in New York and some of the folks that I met out there, both on the policy side, on the industry side, and on the investment side, um, that are taking a keen interest to make sure they get it right from the outset in New York. But there are a number of states with social equity programs. And I think just the fact that um, you know, this is topic of conversation in our industry is a good one, right? That's a great place to start is when you're talking about it and trying to uh, uh, empower folks from those communities, from our communities uh, in, in ways that allow equitable participation in the industry. Absolutely. I mean, it's an encouraging step in the right direction at the state level there uh, for certain. And, you know, some other ways that I've seen that manifest is lower fees to apply for these licenses or um, more access to the capital needed that's, you know, historically more difficult for people of color to get access to. Uh, so these are all steps in the right direction. It was interesting to hear the training and mentorship uh, programs as well. Um, again, all, all really encouraging steps in the right direction. Um, and specifically in your home state in Washington, you're very, very involved there. Um, is there anything else you're seeing there at the state level in Washington to move things along? Yeah, I mean, well, I, the, the interesting thing about our task force compared to maybe other task force in other states is, um, you know, it's not just a, legislat a legislative uh, run task force. You know, I'm not a legislator and to run for office. Um, and, you know, I would participate just because I showed up as a community member and participated in the public meetings. And I was asked to participate because, you know, I'm part of community and I represent, um, you know, I represent both the African-American community, but also industry as a business owner of multiple businesses. And just being able to be a part of that program as, some, as a layperson, as somebody who doesn't understand how um, the legislature really works when it comes to allocating uh, capital uh, out of, you know, uh, with considerations like the fiscal considerations, as well as working with the multiple groups, commerce, legal, et cetera, to push something over a finish line. For me, that was very empowering. Um, but, you know, one of the things I think that's most interesting to me is the fact that given the amount of capital that comes out of our uh, program here in Washington, you know, about a third of what of, of the price that you purchase a adult use product from a retail store, about a third of that price is just taxes. And with that in consideration, 
that gives us a tremendous pool of capital for which we can discuss uses for that benefit our communities, that benefit, let's say, our industry. Um, you know, probably one of the things that I'm most interested in in our state um, and, and that I've got to see as being a part of this task force firsthand is how little amount is actually goes into research of cannabis, right? We want to develop policies to make sure that um, these products are being consumed in, in safe ways and that the consumption limits that we set are uh, such that science and research has been taken into account. Meanwhile, you know, less than, uh, less than a half of 1% of all of the capital that comes out of our, our program here, our tax program here, goes to research. So, you know, one of the things I'm excited about is to start developing these relationships with legislators to really talk about ways that we can dedicate more capital to research. Now, obviously, uh, me as having a company that's using research and data to drive product development, um, certainly, you know, there's, a, there's a, a consideration there for me as a company, right? Like, we are one of the companies that would benefit from a program like that. But at the end of the day, it takes somebody to kind of be a flag bearer, understand how the legislative process works and develop the relationships to push, let's say, a piece of legislation like that over the finish line. So that's one of the exciting side shoots that, that have come from me being involved in the task force. And what's more than that is, you know, I met, I've got a chance to see how the political process works, but not without, you know, incurring uh, some scars. You know, you, one thing I've learned <laughs> is uh, you're not going to please everyone, no. but I have, a, I have a VP of communications that reminds me, you know, politics is really just a business to the people. That's so interesting. Yeah, for sure. It's gr it's great that you literally have made a seat for yourself at the table there. And, and maybe you can make sure that the regulators don't pull any surprise moves on the industry again, like just deciding that edibles need to be removed from all shelves, right? <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't know how good of a job I can do on that front. But what I can say is, at the very least, I know who I need to speak to um, if I want to <laughs> voice my opinion as a community member and as an industry member. And, and that's, you know, that's really all you can ask for. I mean, yep. And maybe they could ask the industry what we think before making decisions too. That'd be something. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take our last commercial break uh, and then come back and wrap up our chat with Jim Macoso of Lucid Labs and Flow Technology. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, Ch chatting with Jim Macoso of Lucid Labs and Flow Technology, somewhere between Washington State and New York. <laughs> uh, so back to 
kind of the, the science and research part of all this. Um, as far as what's on the horizon for our industry, I get really excited when I, as I've mentioned, when I see the, the research that's more sophisticated and products that are really harnessing various cannabinoids. And it's, we're really moving beyond the old CBD and THC, like salt and pepper combo here. Um, now I can buy gummies that are specifically designed for helping me fall asleep. And we're looking at cannabinoids like CBN and CBG. What are, what are you seeing coming down the pipe there? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I think, uh, uh, I think there are some companies that are starting to market those types of products. Um, you know, certainly I would still say it's in its infancy, you know, ultimately the, the two cannabinoids that move the needle, um, I would say primarily THC, and it's probably because we have numbers for that and we can track it really effectively. And then obviously CBD, which, you know, there are huge companies that have, that sell a, a myriad of just CBD only products, um, to meet, um, federal regulation here in the U S with less than 0.3% THC in their products. Uh, but certainly those what some would call minor cannabinoids are having a major impact in the development process of, of plenty of companies. And, you know, certainly one of our goals with flow technology is to look at cannabinoids from the standpoint of what the data tells us they can do in terms of potentiating certain effects and in terms of working for some indications of illnesses uh, better than others and, and really looking at cannabinoids outside of the recreational applications of them. Um, you know, what you're talking about is, is what a friend of mine over uh, at, a, at a large infused ingredient manufacturer uh, in Austin, who sat on a panel I did at Marijuana Biz, is this term mood states. By trying to create formulations of both cannabinoids and maybe some other things like terpenes and, 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 and other compounds that help to design or develop products for mood state performance. Um, you know, that is what I think some of the best companies have been trying to do. But now I think some people are actually putting their money where their mouth is. Certainly at Flow Technology, that's our big focus um, and has been, you know, for the last six months to a year. And, and certainly is our focus for the next year is taking the real scientific step to quantify which cannabinoids, or let's just say which groups of cannabinoids and in what ratios can actually create that mood state, can actually, um, can actually be uh, measured to cause a specific um, mood state that you're going after as a product developer. And, you know, the, there, are, there are very, very tried and true methods to do that. Um, if we look at what people do uh, or with companies have done in the pharmaceutical industry, um, when it comes to therapeutics or in, you know, food manufacturing or, you know, in wellness products or supplements, there are ways to go about testing these compounds for specific effects. And I think we're just at the stage in, in our industry where people are going to start to do that type of work. And certainly there are companies that have already done that. I can think of one example of a company in San Francisco uh, run by a, uh, a PhD scientist. He's uh, part of the uh, NCIA's um, scientific advisory committee, which I chair now, Bethany, I think, uh, last I spoke. Oh, I was chair. chair now. Great. Yeah. Which is great. Um, but, uh, this scientist, he's doing an actual clinical study on a CBD product he created for sleep using, uh, you know, 
using you know simple simple tools, but doing it in the scientific way that any clinician would do it when they are running a clinical study. And, mm. and that is the next phase of product development. Okay, so I need to sign up for some focus groups is what you're saying. Got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have just a minute or so left on the show, but you know, Jim, I wanna thank you so much for being so involved with NCIA over the years. And you know, my eight year anniversary with NCIA is coming up in January, Woo-hoo! 2022. And it's, you know, that's like 80 years in dog years, but you know, it's, it's been amazing to be a, a part of all this and, and to make friendships along the way, like yourself, um, where we now have this shared history of watching everything over these last few years. So thanks for your involvement with the committees too. You were vice chair last term and now you're the chair. So exciting. Um, I just really appreciate your involvement in helping um, bring this industry forward in in so many different ways, actually. Well, thanks much. And it's been a pleasure to be a part of this industry, but it's also been a pleasure specifically to be a part of NCIA, um, you know, uh, and now to be a part of one of the committees and, you know, be a part of thought leadership. You know, the fact that I chair a scientific advisory committee and I'm a business guy, we laugh about, but, you know, our, what we care about in that committee most is using science and using research um, to inform decision-making and to put the information out there for the people. And so I'm excited to be a part of NCIA in that capacity and certainly uh, glad that I've known you for all this time, Bethany. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Thanks again for joining me on the show today. Where can people find out more about Flow Technology and Lucid Labs? You can find uh, more about Flow Technology at flowtech.com and that's F-L-O-W-E tech. Uh, like technology.com. Uh, and, um, you know, my contact information is on there, our general contact information is on there, or you can catch me in person. I will be at NCIA's business conference in uh, San Francisco in December. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate you joining me today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.